Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast. A podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest for me this evening. My guest this evening is Butch Fazal. Good evening, Butch. How are you, man? Good, thank you. Very good. Good stuff. Um, Butch, just before we get into the, the thick of the conversation, just maybe give a brief intro insight around who you are and what you do and we'll kind of tailor from there. Yeah, um, well, currently the role is Coach Inclusion and Diversity Manager for the, uh, for the FA. Um, uh, top line remit would be looking at addressing uh, significant underrepresentation of Black Asian coaches and, and females who are working, who, who, who are trying to break into the professional game. So that's that. That's kind of like the top top line at the moment. Um, and uh, I've been been in the role now. It's my fourth year now. So uh, interesting times, and and happy to share some of those experiences with you. Yes, brilliant. Um, so you obviously you know time's flown because it's been four years, but it's always it's always been a lot very challenging four years as well. With obviously the pandemic and everything, but your journey didn't start there. So maybe just take us back to where. You first, I guess, got involved in the game and more specifically got involved in the coaching aspect of things. Yeah, um, yeah, goodness me. I'm, I'm going back a few decades now, I can tell you. Uh, but, you know, um, Luton boy, born and born and bred. And, uh, uh, I, you know, my, my, my first ever sort of like image was always a football for some bizarre reason. I just remember kicking one around the house and being chased, chased by my mum when I broke the odd vase and that as well. And then... And then you know, like growing up in the in the uh, in the late sixties and the early seventies, you know, my childhood was was punctuated with opportunities um, to to hopefully try and play football for teams. And then recognizing at that time it, it was quite challenging. Um, I think um, when we when we talk about maybe some of the challenges that we have now I don't think uh, the, the the type of challenges I faced were quite over um I think there's more more of a systemic challenge now when it comes to uh probably some of the opportunities that um young people have now but playing football then was were, uh, could be difficult at the best of times but I you know I, I persevered um played played as a probably the only Asian lad uh in and around my area um and and you know played Played right up until I was probably 30, 31, actually. And then I got injured. Uh, you know, never had had the dreams and aspirations like everyone else to play at a, a better level. Um, but it, you know, you, you look back at your journey and you think to yourself, if only, um, if only, you know, maybe if I was born in a in a different in a different generation, things might have been different. But you know, you you uh you 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 play the cards that you dealt with. And I think that um, I suppose my turning point in football, in particular, was when I started coaching more than uh, more than when I when I was playing. I realised early doors when I was playing that 
I felt like I could organize things. Uh, I, you know, a, a, a number of people would tell me that, you know, there were some leadership qualities there and, and, and on the pitch, uh, you know, had the opportunity to, you know, captain uh, some of the teams that I, I played for. And, and I, and I like to think that, you know, the, the players respected me. And I think that that's where my, my real love for, for coaching come in. I realized then that I could have uh, quite a bigger impact um, and coaching. And so I, I kind of pursued um, the next best thing to actually kicking the ball about, which is, uh, which is coaching it. It's quite, quite an interesting way, way to look at it because, you know, well, first of all, there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, um, let's go right to the top of that, actually. So you've started playing football in the house. Um, you've mentioned it, obviously, from an Asian background. What, what, what was that like? And obviously being, um, you mentioned one of a few, if not the only Asian movement, guess your group of uh yeah. community to actually get involved and play the game what, what was that what was that like for you did you did you ever did you ever see that there was any sort of um differences between you and people um or rather where you felt to make were you made to feel different i i clearly knew i was different um yes i i think about um uh you know turning up as the only uh person of color in the in the team it was clear that uh there were um, uh, there were challenges anyway, and it and it you know and it was race. Let, let's let's not um, let's not mess about or be around the bush. You know, being the only Asian there, uh, and and you know it was a predominantly white team as well. And there was probably one one other lad, the uh, uh, Caribbean lad that that played alongside me. And you know, playing as a uh, as a as a youngster, um, yeah, you did st you, you stood out, um, and and I think that. Um, not only did you stand out, you recognised quite quickly that uh, um, how unforgiving the game can be. Uh, and you know, when you when you're growing up and you're you're playing in those uh, in in that type of environment, you recognise very quickly that if you don't love the game, you you're going to walk away from it very quickly. But I did love it. Um, you know, I but I always looked to football and the professional game, and I I'd watch match of the day like everyone else. I'd never see a definitely not south asian you know i'm a and i never see a muslim uh even even playing now think about it and you know i i i you know fast forward um to 2022 and and we know that there's a there's a number of uh um in particular black players but a number of muslims playing as well so and and then obviously you know i had had the the added the added challenge of uh of of mum and dad actually supporting me to be to be fair but also recognizing that you know um, it was it was just good to to do sport. Dad dad was always happy to support me to do sport. Didn't much, you know didn't really realize you know uh, didn't know much too much about the game. Um, and I think sometimes when we when we look back at generations in particular, and you ask you know why hasn't for example a South Asian um, broken through? And I you know we always get the the same old um, same old excuses being rolled out about you know uh, families that are not supportive, but you know there were a number of outlier families uh, that that did support that did support us. But I, but having said that, I think it, it it has it was always you know when I was growing up it was always a challenging environment. I I, I can remember playing in a number of games when I was a, you know when I was 14, 15, 16, and and realizing that you know. I, I live in a part of Lut Luton, which is quite urban, but um, but the county of Bedfordshire in which I lived in had a lot of rural areas. And when we used to go and play some village teams, 
Yeah. Uh, trust me, it was like a, it was, it was like an international game. Um, you know, uh, it, it was, it was difficult at the best of times. Um, attitudes uh, were poor, uh, and uh, they made it clear that you know, um, it was at, at, at the time, it, it probably wasn't a game that that was welcoming me. Um, what it did do for me, though, yes, is that it, it shaped me, and it made me recognise that you know, if I wanted to persevere or uh, within the game itself, I had to be a lot more resilient. And so, when I, when I, when I hear uh, some of the tales of woe that I hear from coaches now who are finding it really, really challenging, I, uh, I do sometimes think back to when I, when I played, and uh, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was so over with the, with the name calling and, uh, and the abuse that um, I, I, I wonder sometimes how, how good people have got it now compared to them. Yeah, and no, I think it's, it's a great point then. I think, you know, you talk there about traditionally people say that, you know, people from South Asian backgrounds, you know, probably not getting that much support from their family. But I think it's, it, even that could be a bit misunderstood and sometimes understanding that it's not necessarily that there's no maybe support in terms of actually getting involved in sport, but maybe seeing sport as a viable career, I think is probably one of the biggest challenges mm. more than anything else. So I guess... On that, you know, you talked about your your family and your, your mum and dad in, in particular being quite supportive of you in that in that that journey. Um, but to tail off off something you said previously, you had the ambition of becoming a player like a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you you know you mentioned that the next best thing was coaching for you. Now, um, part of the reason why I've actually you know begun the podcast is actually to help people understand that actually coaching might not be the next best thing for you. It could be a one of the disciplines that work within the, within the game. Um, so I think just on that, what was it about coaching in particular that caught your eye? And just in terms of maybe giving some context around the landscape at the time, around just how much um, exposure or opportunities or even possibilities there were in what was what is now known as the MD teams and all the different things that go on within the game. It was, yeah. I mean, I, you know, we've, I, I my, my coaching, uh, my, uh, like, like, I took what we call the old prelim in, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back now, 1994. And, um, you know, I just finished playing. Uh, and, you know, it was, the, it was the next best thing for me. I wanted to stay in the game. But I'll, you know, I'll, I'll never forget that, um, the, the, the prelim. Um, it was seven days of torture more than anything else. You know, it was like, there was there was 24 of us there was ex pros in there uh, and they're all all vying for what they used to call the badges I, you know i think we we've gone away from that 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 terminology now and I, I think we see it as a qualification now but it was the same thing and it was quite interesting because you know when i look back at those seven days i, I you know I, I thought i knew a bit about football and then um you know at, at the time i think the the fa in particular there was a certain way of doing things uh, and um, you had to follow the way of doing things, and there was not there was not this opportunity to be um, uh, to have any freedom within uh, within to, to to actually pass the award. You had to do it in a certain way, you know, like like socks up, for example, when you when you're coaching, you know, I, it, like the like. So, and I, I, I think back now at the antiquated way that we did it, it was it was just unbelievable. Um, and and you know, like. In in the assessment, there was there's 24 of us, and it was assessment over two two days. So you, and and anyone who didn't play in the session was was really um, uh, was was regarded as not not pulling in for the team. So 
you know you're doing like seven sessions in a row and then it's yours and if you get if you get the you know the graveyard shift right at the end and, and you've got flagging players and you've got no chance but it, it was what it was and I, I look at the way things have changed now compared to then and I and I realize that you know um we, we've come on stride since then but I think one thing that really attracted me to coaching more than anything else was the opportunity number one to um to be you know I was I was still different in the early 90s in the respect that there wasn't many South Asian coaches in the early 90s. And I also seen, um, um, you know, the town that I lived in, which was a predominantly, even then, an ethnically diverse town. And I recognised there was a number of South Asian kids and black, and black kids in the, in the town, okay, that, that just weren't getting an opportunity to even play the game. So, um, and one of the things, you know, we've heard it a number of times, but if you can see, you can be it. And, uh, but I never seen any of it. So I seen it as an opportunity to maybe pioneer the way and, and be a bit of a trailblazer as a South Asian coach. And I didn't want to stop at my prelim. Um, as soon as I got it, uh, I wanted to apply it. And then I, I wanted to see the next step was in 1996 when I did my UA for B. And I, and I, I remember, you know, uh, that was if, if the first one was seven days of, uh, uh, of, of hell, uh, try 14 days and you know it, and it was it was relentless the course but one thing that I did realize quickly was that you know as I as I continued to to um to gain the qualifications and gain the knowledge and gain the experiences that there was a lot of kids in in the area that actually you know were were really now getting an opportunity to access the game because I, I was I was running a lot of coaching courses and uh, I remember in 1996, when I got my UA for B, I, I wrote a paper for the uh, Luton Borough Council about the underrepresentation of Asians in football. And it was about the same time when Jazz Baines wrote his book about Asians can't play football. And I, I, I remember that they kind of coincided and I actually got hold of Jazz a little earlier on and, and, and talked a little bit about, you know, his thinking when, when he was writing the book as well. One thing was for sure, there was a lack of accessibility to the game and there was a lack of opportunity. And, and it was, uh, but, but out of that, out of every crisis is opportunity. For me, it was an opportunity to write, develop my organization, football for all. Um, uh, I ran that organization for, for 18 years. In that time, we, 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 we worked in a number of schools right across, right across the County. Um, and I, I like to think that, you know, we change the landscape when it comes to diverse, uh, diversifying the coaching workforce in, in, in Bedfordshire. Um, you know, we went on to, to, to great things, um, you know, a, a Queen's Award for the work that we did, but also more importantly, the opportunity that we gave young, young, young people to express themselves on a football pitch. And that was only down to the fact that, you know, I, I, I had the qualifications. I got the opportunity to impact people's lives. And I think that's really important. So it was great that I had an individual sort of goal and, uh, and desire. But my my real purpose was to really um, put it out there that, um, you know, we we not only play the game, we, we coach the game, we support uh, and, and we support football teams as well. And and, you know, the. The, the first couple of years as like like, like any uh, um a, a, any any social enterprise company it was it was really difficult but once we started to get more and it, it was actual fact it was actually more ethnically diverse coaches um that i that i employed and then i started to mentor them with the work that i did as well and now i'm really proud to say that i, I think about some of the guys there and 
funnily enough, John, John D'Souza, who's now uh, technical director at, um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to remember, I think South South End, I think he is. Colchester. Not, not Colchester United. He's going to kill me if he hears that. If you don't edit that, yes, he's going to act. He'll be on the phone straight away. I remember, you know, John, John, John also uh, came across, uh, came across me. And, you know, I remember giving him sessions all those years ago. And now I look at John at uh, Colchester as, as technical director at the top end of the game. I feel immensely proud that, you know, we, we we've got um, those coaches that, uh, uh, that have gone on, you know, and it's brilliant. You know, he's done his pro license. He's having a fantastic career. And, and, and more importantly, something I've said to John and other coaches that I've, I've supported in the past as well was that, you know, it was one of that, it's that piece around, you know, remember where, we, where we come from and remember that, you know, we, we leave the ladder down uh, and, and we make sure that um, somebody else follows us. So legacy, especially as I get, you know, we, when you see these silver uh, whiskers, um, trust me, it, it's not snow, baby, it's wisdom. And uh, it's wisdom because I've, I've been in it a long while. And I think the one thing that I say, uh, you know, any up and coming coach in particular is what does your what is going to be the size of your footprint? What's your legacy like? You know, I look back at uh, three, three decades of coaching and, and I hope, inshallah, that people will look at it and go, well, you know what? He made a bit of a difference. And, it, and if they do say that, I think that um, I would have achieved, yes. No, it's, it's really good to hear about all the, you know, all the people that you potentially have impacted in. You know, I'm actually due to speak to John very soon on the podcast itself. Um, but just, you know, maybe just elaborate a little bit then what, what you mean by a lack of access to the game. Because I think opportunities is one thing, but maybe just give a bit more insight around what you actually mean by lack of access. Because is that in terms of employment or is that just in terms of just being able to play the game? I mean, we're, we're talking 20 years ago here, yes. But yeah, I mean, it, and it was pretty pretty overt at that time as well it wasn't you know I, I think the covert nature of the game uh, nowadays and we look at maybe uh, some of the structural racism that, that that's embedded uh, within not only the industry but within society itself is something that we're trying to challenge now um, but if we go back to 20 years then it was it was it was pretty overt you know you you didn't get a chance then it was simple unless someone liked you uh, um, and I know the game is built on uh, networks and building relationships but at that time you know there was also a, a stereotypical image of a South Asian uh, and it certainly wasn't football uh, and it wouldn't be the first thing that, that sprung to mind as you all as we all know you know um you know probably uh if if, if you if you were asked uh 20 years ago you know well, what what does what what if I ask you to name two or three things about South Asians the first thing we'll probably say is that you know they're they're entrepreneurs. They um uh, they they believe in their family and they uh, and they and they want their children to have a really really good education. But my pushback to all of those three things is I don't think I, I have no problem with any of those ambitions whatsoever. And I would I would challenge any anyone even you know the indigenous white community that wouldn't say that they wouldn't want their kids to have a good education. So uh, it's it's quite interesting that that's that that sort of stereotypical image is aimed at us. Um uh and and yet. You know, we, we we look we look back at any any good parent, and they'd want the same thing. So, um, I, and so when I when I talked about access 20, 20 years ago in particular, I, I felt that um, in, at the time that I wanted to challenge the authorities, and 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 the way I challenged the authorities, I had two I had two choices. You know, I could rebel, uh, I could be a thorn in their side, and I and and I could be a agent provocateur in that area and, and really politicise the uh, the the issue. And I did do that. 
and 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 it was uh, and the reason why I did that at the time was I felt that's what was required. What I didn't realize though, as I as I continued in my journey and I I I chaired the National Asians in Football Forum for 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 nearly nearly twelve years, uh, and uh, and when we looked at um, projects right across the country, it wasn't only just Bedfordshire that was struggling. You know, we'd go to London, we'd go to Birmingham, we'd we, we'd be in the northwest. You know, we'd be right across the country, and we recognised that everyone was uh, sharing a uh, the the same type of experience. And what, what I wanted to do was uh, I, I I wanted to call out um, um, the challenges that, uh, in particular, South Asians were were having in the in the game. So um, it, it's quite interesting that you know, for the past uh, seven years or uh, seven years now, I've been or six years, seven years, I've been working for the organisation. I, 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 I look back at the time when, when I was calling that, that, that same organisation out, uh, but I also look at, uh, I, I look now at the progress that we've made and um, it, it's impressive to say, to say the least. Now, that's not saying in any shape or form we've got it right, because we haven't. Uh, but one thing's for sure, um, I th I've, I've now, as I, as, I look, as I look at 2022, that my colleagues that I work with uh, are like-minded. We recognise that you know we've got a real purpose around a game free of discrimination, and I know that um, in particular within uh, within the FA, you know we're we're big enough, we're we're bold enough, and we're ambitious enough to say that we'll call it out at every turn. We want we want to be better at the things um, to ensure that everyone gets access. That wasn't the case um, uh, a couple of decades ago. Uh, and I think that it was important at the time, uh, the way that, you know, especially the Asians in football forum politicized um, some of the real challenges uh, through, a, you know, through a media campaign in which, you know, if we if we felt there was a uh, there was an there was an issue, um, then, you know, we we'd talk about it. And but more importantly, we, we it was interesting because as I look back at my career and I, and I recognize that the one thing that. I, I failed to do was really understand the the nuances of the uh, of the industry uh, and the way I, I didn't understand the rules of engagement and but now I do and I, I absolutely understand now how I, I say I absolutely I, I'll, I'll never I'll never absolutely understand anything but I kind of got a, a 75% idea now on on how the game operates and the way that it it, it actually just has the type of rhythm that it has now whereas in the past um i i just didn't i didn't really understand the the mechanics of uh, of of uh, of the importance of this this change um action plan that we had 20 years ago uh trying to implement it into a into a bureaucracy um in which the wheels churned really really slowly so you know any any type of change any type of progressive thinking at the time um, and and a number of the uh, the authorities would become really quite defensive and close ranks on you and so you just couldn't make inroads I think the the mindset and the thinking has changed since then because I, I think you know one of the key things that I've recognized especially in the last two two or three years is the importance on diversity and inclusion and recognizing that um, that you know, everyone needs to have that opportunity, regardless of where they come from, uh, regardless of what they look like, and uh, and regardless of their gender or disability. And I think that um, that 
that I think has been the sea change that I've seen in the in particular in the in the three or four decades I've been in in the coaching area. So you see, it's interesting because obviously you know there is a lot of what you said is really much talking from obviously your own personal experiences and observations, and, and obviously now you've you've gone from being on one side of the equation to now being on the other side of the equation. Not to say that your agenda has changed necessarily, but you're just fighting it from a different different corner, if you like. Uh, but it's not just in coaching that obviously the, these these issues exist. It's not just in playing, and I, I guess on that. Uh, obviously now as time's gone on we're starting to see more and more people from the multiple disciplines you know the, the physios your yeah. scientists and so on and so on that are actually now becoming more diverse in the way they look um, but we're still obviously finding a massive struggle and, and resistance to that within the coaching space um, A why do you think that is and B you know, it's a conversation I've had with a few coaches in the past and it is ongoing conversations that those environments that have somewhat, at least on the outside looking in, seemingly have adopted this all-inclusive approach, if you like, or a more diverse approach to things, how much of that is potentially down to the fact that actually the landscape of the players that are coming through now is also heavily changing. That's gonna that that's that's a clear factor, you know. The the fact that you know uh, one in five players are ethnically diverse uh, within the game, uh, yet you know there's only six point two percent of uh, managers that are, are are black in in any of the Premier League or or, or the or the three leagues uh, below that, uh, you know. And then if you look, think about South Asians in particular, and look at the significant and the embarrassingly low. Um, number of uh, South Asians either uh, either playing or coaching or any part of football in actual fact. And, you know, I always quote Sanjay Bandari's um, uh, quote about um, South Asians in football are the, are the biggest statistical anomaly in the game. And so, you know, there are still challenges there. One thing that I would say, though, is because in, in response to your question is that, you know, this this piece around when are, you know, why why are there are there are still clear challenges? I think. Um, Look, we 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 can't we we can't dismiss um, racism, whether we like it or not. We can't dismiss it. You know, there are people still within the game. Uh, they will be called out eventually. But when we talk about um, uh, um, just just this idea that you know, just because of the, your colour of your skin, you're not as good as somebody else, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. It's bizarre, but you know, it it still. I wouldn't say prevalent in the game, but it clearly is still in the game. But I also think um, if we're really looking at how we're, you know, how we're going to continue to diversify the workforce, we need to look at our recruitment pro, uh, pro processes. I think that you know we still continue to be uh, an industry um, uh, that networks internally, and that um, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not it's not what you know in this game; it's who you know. And if and if you know the right people, you you may well get the opportunity. Um, and until we actually are open about um, what what recruitment looks like, it's got to be accountable. It's got to be transparent. And I think that you know some some of the biggest frustrations from coaches that I hear on a regular basis is that even you know when they've got the opportunity to have an interview, you know, the, just the lack of feedback that they get, quality feedback, which enables them to go again and be stronger the next time round. 
so I think that, you know, we're working not only um, with the FA, but also with um, under what we call the ICS, the Integrated Coaching Strategy, uh, with the EPL, the EFL, the LMA and the, and the PFA. And we're looking at what does recruitment look like and, and how are we going to continue to, to, to look at how, how accountable and transparent that is. But I think also another, another real key challenge we're like is, is unconscious bias. And so, you know, who who is interviewing you and what does what, what does that interview look like? And if it you know, although we can now we, we attempt to try and diversify our interview panel. But if it you know, whatever club you might be at, um, you know, if you've got three white males and and, and a female walks in or a, or a person of color or a black coach walks in, you know, if they see three white males in, in the interview panel, um, they're going to kind of like the first question they'll probably ask is, uh, you know, how diverse is the, is the club in itself? And more importantly, you know, we, we recognise that if we don't have diversity on those panels, then, you know, we do get that group think. We do get that confirmation bias. And, 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 and I think one of the key areas that we've worked on really um, um, quite a bit at the FA is ensuring that we do have diversified interview panels in which we do get a, a lens right across um, uh, what we're thinking and how we're making our decisions. But I think more importantly, um, we're constantly also being checked and challenged uh, by, by those in, 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 on the interview panel as well, because I think that's important. And, you know, and, and like I said, you know, uh, ultimately at the end of the day, okay, I, I kind of, when I, when I put, when I put the, um, the, the coach inclusion and diversity strategy, strategy together, I remember, um, calling it the five E's. And I said that, you know, at, at the end of the day, okay, without it, number one would be evidence. So we've got to be research led and we've got to be data informed. So if we don't have the evidence, we can't put a um, compelling case together. I think the second thing after we've got the evidence is, um, I, I called it education, so quals, and what kind of um, uh, learning and support are we giving coaches in particular? So if we know where they are and we know what they want, and if it, and if we work to a regulatory track framework, which we do at the moment around certain quals being required um, to get certain positions, we need to educate those coaches and get them on those qualifications as well. But then I think the other two are really, really important. So now if I took you on that journey and you have got all your uh, qualifications, the next two things that you require, which are absolutely essential, um, is number one is you need exposure to those environments and, and number two you need experience and and if you can't get into those environments to get that exposure to expose you to those uh, elite environments you're not going to gain the experience and i think that um a number of the programs that i run currently are, are an opportunity to get um uh ethnically diverse and female coaches into those environments to understand number one what is it that it takes to get a role like that but number two, also, more importantly, OK, to expose those types of coaches into those environments. And then hopefully uh, we'll be in a position where we can have coaches that are quite transformational. I think that's really, really important that we transform the environments we're in just by being our authentic, genuine self. And then the fifth E, which is the most probably the most important, important one, is that when I, I used to call it employment, but I realised very, very quickly that I can't guarantee anyone employment. What I can do is develop that and make them more employable and develop their employability skills. And I think as I look back at the programs and when I initially when when I, when we when we initially started with the programs, it 
I didn't want it to be a number crunching uh, KPI exercise, you know, where what the key performance indicators, have we got X amount in here? Because I think that 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 to me right undermines the, uh, the programs in the respect they become quite transactional. It's just a case of putting numbers in places. What I really wanted it, uh, the programs to be was transformational. So when we did get those those coaches in those positions, for example, the club placement program that currently has 17 coaches in, uh, in, in clubs right across the country. What I was finding more importantly was that the feedback I was getting from clubs was, wow, you know, we didn't even realise that, um, number one, that this coach was a, a around, and number two, the value that they're adding to the to clubs themselves just through their own diverse lens. So I think there's some of the things, um, yes, as I, as, as I look back at um, the progress that we've made compared to where we were a few years ago, um, I, I feel incredibly confident, um, especially with our new, you know, coach development principles around um, more more skillful players, more transformational coaches, uh, uh, and more uh, more opportunities as well within the game. I think that we're in a we're in a better, more inspirational opportunities. I think we're in a better position now than we've ever been. Mm. So just on that, you know, just to kind of unpack that a little bit more than yeah. just go into the what, what, what exactly do you consider a transformational coach to be? Because there's going to be many coaches yeah. um, listening to this thinking, right, oh, well, you know, I'm, I might not be one of those people from an underrepresented group, but how, what, what exactly does a transformational coach look like, whether from a uh, this community or that community or whichever community you're from? Yeah, great question. Uh, yes, to me, um, if we just, uh, the you know, the, the clues in the, uh, in the word, uh, how, how do you transform those, that, the thinking? How do you transform a player, um, regardless of whether he's a, he, he's a lad that's just turning up for the first time um, uh, and all, all, all he wants to do is kick a football about? But, you know, through your, through your, through your coaching and through your behaviours, um, you know, you, you, you've given him or her an experience that not only do they want to come back, but they're also falling in love with the game. So that to me is transformational. I think um, there's a bigger onus, if I'm being honest with you, and I know I have a lot of challenging conversations with a number of people uh, within the organisation when I say that, especially for coaches who, who come from more diverse communities, I do, I do say uh, to, to those coaches that, you know, you're going in there, um, you've, you've, if, if the club can develop an environment in which you can bring your most genuine, authentic self there, then that's exactly what I want you to do because I think that um, uh, it's it, it's really important that uh, the 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 image and the, uh, and uh, and the, and the fact that you become a role model um, for your community when you go there. Now that that's interesting because some people would say, well, what about white coaches? Why save big on brunch for mom? All in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. They'd be rumbles. Absolutely, they can. But I think that we've got a little still bit of a bit of a way to go, even as a black coach, to maybe challenge the stereotypes out there, especially as a South Asian coach to ch- challenge those stereotypes and and also as women um, to challenge those stereotypes. So when I when I when I talk about those particularly historically underrepresented groups in in football and transformational, I want them to go in there and they'll go, do you know what? They will 
I had no idea. That was superb. And and it's and it's transforming the thinking of those who who previously probably wouldn't have even considered um, a, a coach uh, from those type of backgrounds. And all of a sudden, because of this one coach having an impact uh, on the thinking uh, of uh, of those who are, are possible recruiters, um, it changes. It, it absolutely changes the game. And that for me is transformational. Mm. You talked there, you know, about a few different things, and I guess really touching on some of the aspects of the role that you do in terms of being part of the programs and initiatives and schemes that are in place to kind of promote more opportunities for people, for coaches from diverse backgrounds. But what you know, throughout throughout your time, you know, with the FA, obviously prior to that, you was working as a county coach developer. Yeah. Um, am I am I correct in saying that was your yeah, first? Yeah, absolutely. Year? Yeah, three years. Yeah, fantastic. I had an incredible time, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I, I suppose that was my, that was kind of like my apprenticeship, if, I, if I'm being honest. You know, I had the opportunity to, I was coach developer here in Bedfordshire, you know, delivered, delivered courses from um, the old level, uh, the old level one right up to the UA for B. And I, um, I look back at that time and, I, and, 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 and it was right across the board. It wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't just to, historically underrepresented coaches it was right across the board one thing that I realized very quickly was the the passion and the love that um the individuals have for the game um you know they they come from all walks of life and uh all they ever wanted uh, every coach that I came across in in particular all they ever wanted to do was um uh just give the best experience to the players and, and watch the players grow and I think more importantly um I think delivering the youth award modules more than anything else really got me um really really impacted on me because i realized that they weren't just a player they were a person uh, and 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 it was it was then that it dawned upon me that the impact that football can have the power of football can have as well so yeah as a county coach developer i um i you know not, not only was it uh, just about um uh, delivering courses it was about delivering delivering um uh, supporting and developing coaches and it was, you know, it was incredibly fulfilling and uh, and rewarding, uh, and and I and I see the same. I feel like the same fulfilment now when I see coaches that I've supported go on and uh, and and secure full time roles in football. Right. Uh, and, and my only message to them uh, would be the same, which is that um, you know, once you get the opportunity to get in there and you get your feet under the table, you recognise what what you're doing and you're having an impact. I think the next stage for uh, for for especially historically underrepresented coaches is the fact that right okay they've been recruited can they retain their position but more importantly then um, will the club then look to promote those same people and if they do then they get in positions of influence that's when the real test comes because if we then start getting um, uh, those coaches in positions of influence they'll also become the decision makers and then i think that that's when the real step change will come but my warning mm. would be that um if you do continue to rate uh, um to to rise on the ladder is that it's it's never going to be about assimilation it, it, it can't be about you assimilating to the culture of uh, of the club there that's where you have to have still your uniqueness and you have to recognize okay that if you've just assimilated to a a system Mm. And you'll just be part of the problem as well. And I totally agree with that. I think it's a very good point. And it's actually a conversation I've had with many coaches who are from diverse backgrounds currently working in the game, especially within within what you know, the elite game. 
And the observation sometimes is, is actually when you get a coach who is uh, unique in this context, um, that they're not necessarily always, let's just say, as you put it, hanging that ladder down for the next person um, because of a couple of different reasons. And these are, these are things that people have actually said to me directly. And one of them being the fear that actually that person's uniqueness might out trump this person's uniqueness in the environment. And this one gets pushed out because the new something, you know, the new shiny toys come in and it looks better or quite simply, um, and this is what I've really put it down to is I think if you're, if you're in a position where you never really wanted to hold that ladder out or leave that ladder hanging for someone else, you probably don't really believe that you deserve to be there. Um, so, and, and it comes back to something that you've, you know, a word that you used earlier and about adding, you know, adding value, but what's your purpose? Oh, without, yes, you, you've just hit the nail on the head for me. Okay. I speak to a number of coaches that, 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 that want to be the next coach of Man United. Uh, and when I when I listen to the conversation, I'll, I'll 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 be open with you. I hear people talk. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to be here. I want this. I want that. And I'm thinking, okay, how many eyes were in that conversation when we first started? Tell me a little bit more about what 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 is it that you're going to bring to the game that's going to make the game better, the game better. Now I recognise that you know individually you have some personal goals, but what's your real purpose in the game? And I think that when we get you know, there are coaches out there that do have that wider purpose, that do recognise okay, that if they do get the opportunity and they get into those positions, they can actually have a real impact. And I think there that's the type of mindset for me, right, which is really, really important. So it, it's like, um, you know, the, the me is important. But for me, OK, the we is even more important. And I think you make a great point there. I think, you know, the question I would ask maybe coaches or anyone listening to this thing to think about whether you're from a diverse background or not is what is your purpose? Because I, I, I do believe, and, and coming back to the top, of the top of the conversation where you talked about the next best thing was coaching. The amount of coaches that I've come across, especially when I've delivered coach education similar to yourself, that actually they've just stepped into coaching because they think that's the only thing for them or that's the only way they can keep themselves within the game and not actually understand Actually, there's so many different avenues you can go on if you're passionate about the game. And I think having that understanding of what your purpose is is great. But also, um, you know, I think it's important to understand and highlight that actually it's not always as simple as, oh, what's my purpose? Sometimes it does take time for you to figure that out and understand where you can add your value. And I think that's probably a, a question maybe a coach needs to start asking themselves or anyone needs to start asking themselves as well. Where am I able to add value? How am I able to add value? And these are some questions which I don't think enough people are asking. So I guess to round that up, you know, if we look back at your time as a coach developer, um, both within your own organisation prior to coming to the FA, um, and then obviously your time within the FA, and obviously now in the, in the capacity that you're doing it now, you know, what would you say are some of the key things that those roles have taught, taught you about leadership? And yeah transforming mindsets to become more proactive, more positive, and I guess more expansive, if, 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 if that's even a way to describe it. Brilliant. I like that, yes. I, I tell you what, it's a, it's a great question. I, I, I've learned so much, in, and, and I'll tell you why I've learned so much in the last nearly four years now. It's because I've been, I, I've been exposed to those environments. You know, I think about some of the work that um, I do on the pro license, for example, around diversity and inclusion. 
you know, getting the opportunity to be in front of uh, the leaders of tomorrow, for example. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, you, you, you stand up and, and you talk about something passionately because you believe in it. But the most important thing is not uh, so much about you believing in it. It's how you land the message, because landing the message is the most important thing, because I I know that I, I, I know I know the, the benefits of having a diverse and uh, diverse workforce and an, an inclusive environment. But if we can then get the leaders of tomorrow to recognize that as well, I, I think that's an opportunity that, um, you, you know, I, I certainly wasn't wasn't going to pass up. So being exposed to those to those footballing minds, being in those conversations has, uh, has enabled me to grow. But I think that it's it's enabled me to grow because I hope that the uh, and, and it's always built on one thing that that, that I, I, I believe that building good relationships is uber critical and i recognize that how do you build a good relationships relationship well number one you you, for me in particular someone asked me uh, the other day if you had to describe yourself in uh four words what would they be and i said uh faith-based and vision driven so for me right my faith is at the center of everything that i do you know and i and and i have certain i i have certain values that are underpinned just by by who i am and I think that when I came in to the organization and, you know, I said that like on, on a Friday at, at one o'clock, you know, I need, I need to do my gym, my prayers. And, uh, you know, it, I, I had the need a room or, you know, when I was at St. George's park, you know, Burton was only down the road. There was a couple of moss down there, but the great thing about the organization was they flexed and they said, but you know what, we won't put a meeting on between half 12 and, uh, and half one for you. You know, and when you come back, we'll put meetings on, um, halal food uh, uh, at the Hilton or halal food at, uh, at the football centre. You know, uh, if they know I'm in the building uh, and uh, and I, I pre-order something, it'll always be halal. There's a prayer room now. Um, it Those are the small wins that make me feel like I can go an extra yard for that organisation because, you know what, I feel valued. And I think that when, when, you, when you start looking, when I, in particular, um, look back at, um, some of the opportunities that have been afforded to me now. I hope that it's because I just built really, really good relationships. And I think well, that's one of the key things that I think that um, if I was going to give a message out to coaches in particular is how good are you at building relationships? I think another thing which is really quite interesting is that, um, listen, I, I, I can be a number of different people because I meet a number of really, re- really incredible people in, in the role that I do. Um, but I also realise, okay, that the only person I can really be is me, uh, and so you know that 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 key message around, um, you know, do you because whether we like it or not, yes, everyone else is taken. So um, let's think about it like that. So what? Who are you? You know, we talked a little bit about, you know, what's your sense of purpose. So I talked a little bit about values, and I think the other thing that I hope I was consistent with in my in the role that's enabled me to maybe um uh maybe have the opportunity to be afforded some of uh some of the exposure that i've had is because of my behaviors i've always been really consistent with my behaviors and my actions and i think that that and again that's just because of um you know how i was brought up you know i was you know i, I pray five times a day i you know i I have a certain discipline in my life which tells me which drives me forward and then and then other people kind of look at that and go wow five times you know you know when Ramadan comes around like, yeah you're fasting you know you know and little, little things like that but it it 
all of those things um actually when we don't realize it actually are having an impact on other people as well so i think that um i, I it's it, it's i i think from the learnings that i've got from from others but i also know and something that you said yes is that i know i can add value you know and i believe that i can add value so when i when i think about some of the key things that that i've learned from the last three three years in this four years in this role in number one i had to keep learning i had to stay humble i had to be really really patient and and i had some challenging conversations around a number of things in which you know that i i needed to to have a, a behavior and a mindset shift in in other people and i recognized that the only way that i could have any type of influence first and foremost is by being really consistent with my messages and and I think that was important but the one thing I that I've learned in life is that life isn't fair so when you know life isn't fair you've still got to get on with it and so um and the other thing that whether we like it or not is uh something else that was actually said to me and I, I'm, I'm I'm trying to remember I'm unfortunately i was i was at a meal with someone and he he mentioned it but i forgot his name and he said but the other thing you've got to remember okay in life right is the goalposts are always going to change well this is so, what i was going to say i mean as you were talking there i think one of the key things you talk about having consistent behaviors but your, your behaviors yeah. are, your, your behaviors are aligned to maybe well ideally in, in, your, your behaviors will be aligned to where you want to kind of end up so where your goals are but i think where a lot of people maybe go wrong is 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 where they struggle to initially accept that actually it's okay to change your goals. You can change your goals because, you know, the goals that I had when I was 18 and I started coaching are very different to now at 30. The, the way in which I want to go about doing that are very different over the last 12 years. It was different to what it was two years ago. It's different to what it was four years ago and so on and so forth. So I think it's like you get into that point where you understand that actually my goals can change. I no longer need to go down that same path I laid out for myself 10 years ago because actually the landscape has also changed with it. And I think having an understanding of and that clarity of this is where I want to end up, but the path might constantly be changing along the way. And I think you know something. You know, this obviously for yourself. You know, a man of faith. Um, there's going to be people out there that aren't religious. There's going to be people out there that don't necessarily believe in God. They might believe in the universe or fate or whatever it might be. And I think the best way to the best way to look at it. And you said there, obviously, you know, life's not fair, but actually, you just got to get on with it. But I guess the way I see it sometimes is. The reason why we get frustrated at times when things may, may not necessarily go the way that we've anticipated or planned for is because we can't even comprehend how big the plan is that's going to take us to where we're going to end up. So I know I never anticipated 12 years ago when I first got into coaching, I'll be sitting here, you know, mm. doing what I'm doing now. I probably, you know, I had no idea that I was even going to work in football. Um, but now you know, I've had the pleasure of, you know, having a podcast which has just hit 150 episodes. You know, I've had the likes of Shaquille O'Neal on my bloody podcast. Now, it's like mm -hmm. that in itself. It's like I wouldn't even, if someone told me this 10 years ago, you're going to have a podcast. Like, first of all, like, what the hell is a podcast? Mm -hmm. And then when it finally started, you know, coming around, you're going to have a podcast and Shaq's going to be on your on your episode on Christmas Day. And I'd be like, it's not going to happen. But I think it just goes to show that we, no matter what does come in our way, or what is next in line for us, we can be okay with changing our plans. We can be okay with changing our goals. It's absolutely fine. As long as we have an awareness of where we're at on that journey, 
and just how far we are with that. So coming back to your piece about the behaviors, I think equally then it's also about having a self-awareness to understand actually are my current behaviors moving to my existing goals or do I need to adjust my behaviors in line with the goals that I'm now going to set myself, if that makes sense? It makes a lot. I mean, I, you know, development action plans are, are, are something that I do day in, day out, as you as you can imagine, with so many coaches. So we're always talking about it. I, I have a little saying which says, be stubborn with your goals, but flexible with your methods. And I think that's really, really important. So, you know, you can have you can still have that that, that goal in front of you, but your method of, of, of achieving that might be completely different. And I think that you've had that journey already of where you've you know, you, you, you like if your goal is I want to have an impact in football. So which way can you have an impact in football? You could be a coach or you could be um, um, uh, interviewing Shaquille O'Neal on, on Christmas Day and still having a, an impact on coaches. So I think that ha- what, what the, the, the important thing for me is um, that, that piece around being really adaptable and being quite pragmatic. And I think uh, we're, we're all learning that. That level of pragmatism is really important for me. I think just, just to kind of you know, evolve onto that even more is I think we all want to be feel valued um, and we all want to feel like we've got something to bring to the table and, and add value in. Uh, but I think one of the challenges that, that I've certainly observed, especially through my life experiences and through and, and just observing others, is sometimes we might be a bit too stubborn on how we would like to add the value or where we want to add the value and not also not necessarily pay attention to actually where could we be adding value that we're not paying attention to? So I'll give you an example. Um, throughout this journey, I'll give you, I've, been, I've, been, I've worked with goalkeepers, I've worked with outfield players, I've worked with teams, individuals, you know, different age groups. And I've always said to myself, I'm not really passionate about working with goalkeepers that much. But I know that based on my experiences and all the interactions I've had with goalkeepers in the past, and even people that have observed my, my, you know, my work with goalkeepers, say, well, you're actually really good at that. And I think it's, it, it was, it was initial stubbornness for me from like, well, that's not what I want to do. Mm. Um, but then it's also accepting actually just because that's not what you want to do. Doesn't mean you're not adding value there. Cause sometimes it's, it, it, it takes, and then it becomes like, okay, what's more important, how you're doing it what you're achieving from it if that makes sense I think uh, yeah. not, enough, not enough people and not enough especially within the coaching world not enough people asking themselves where does that actually happen so one of the big I think one of the biggest examples of that is when coaches are now working in the working in the pro game as an example working in, in, in academies traditionally you see the coaches at the foundation phase who in most environments are probably paid less than the guys working in the PDP um, and if you were to pro it based on it not being full-time and part-time, you probably wouldn't be anywhere near the same amount. Now, a lot of coaches end up wanting to work in the PDP because of the, the, the salary that's attached to it, potentially, even though it's probably not that great, but it is much better than what you might be getting in the foundation phase. But actually, then the foundation phase is losing a lot of coaches who could be really valuable in that stage of the development. That yes is one of the systemic problems within within the game itself. And until we get an equality of pay, when it comes to um, valuing the the uh, what what coaches bring to the game in particular, there's a there's a real key question that I always ask myself. It, it kind of like especially over the last eighteen months is that um, every kind of decision that I make is how how am I making the game better with the decision that I'm making? 
whether that's um uh you know passing someone on a uh, qualification or or develop or delivering a different program um um to to football and i think that that is something that i would really be interested i mean i'd really love to land that message to coaches who are listening to this podcast which is what what are you going to do and what and what value can you add to make to make the game better i think you make some really really interesting points i've i've got to say that i think that um you know when we talk about development in in particular i think that you know because of the regulatory nature of the game that you know there's certain quals that are required to work within the game i also think education is on a bit of a journey now and we're recognizing that although um the qualification is important I think now, right, a lot, a lot of clubs in particular, okay, are, are seeing the value of the person first and the, and the quality of the person first. And, the quali- and I think that if we can work more around, you know, understanding who you are. So when you're asked a question, oh, oh, come on then, tell us what your, what your values are, what your, what your philosophy is of not only the game, but it, it might even be a, a, of life. I think it's really, really important you have an understanding of, of who you are if you sell, if you sell that first, yeah, then I think they'll start buying. Just, but just on that, do you know how, how much of that? And this, there's no, I don't know if there is a definitive way to, or that there isn't a definitive way to answer this really. But how much of that do you think is down to the fact that actually over the more recent years, um, people with the qualifications, i.e., your A license and your B license, have, you know, for lack of a better way of describing it, have just become diluted, and one of the criticisms I do have of the current coach education pathway is that there probably is too much flexibility and opportunity for people just to go, yep, you've been signed off. And it makes it easy because of the way the system is now, I'm not saying it's is right or wrong or it's better or worse because it's definitely benefits of it. But whereas the previous pathway, let's say pre 2016, when it was literally pass or fail, it was easier, I guess, in some capacity, just to say, right, okay, this person knows this stuff, this person doesn't know this. And that's pretty much the decision that was made largely around the technical and tactical aspects of the game, rather than how to blend uh, the four corners or how to look at the player from a holistic, or holistic approach. But, how, you know, I, I think a large part of that is, in my opinion, down to So they're probably now saying, well, the qualification probably doesn't hold as much weight as it maybe once did. Okay, it's, it's it's an interesting uh it's an interesting view. I would say though that I think that you know because I've I've kind of like I've been in both those pathways. You know, I, I was in the stop standstill brigade, yeah. and now I'm in the tell me how you feel about this brigade as well. So I get I, I get that. I, I yeah. think one thing that I would say though is that I think that um the the calls have a certain um have a certain credibility and and. Uh, and, and I think it's really important that, that they're there, but that can't be the one and only thing that also gets you through the door. For me, right, um, you know, how have you continued to, to become better uh, within the game? Are you a student of the game? Have you, have you had the opportunity to have support and development learning opportunities? They're really important to me. Yeah, and I, and I, think, I think I totally agree with you, and I think those things are really important, but then at the same time, if there's a, I'll put it this way, I, I know coaches who are probably level two coaches, mass, you know, mass experience, again, over, over a number of years, working in different environments, different different types of groups, and um, they've just never had an opportunity or, or, or had 
yeah, the opportunity to go and do a B license is an example, but they're still doing loads of stuff around that to support themselves in terms of their further CPD yeah. opportunities and whatnot. And or even, and, and this is another debate I often have with coaches is, okay, when you're going to do the qualification, what are you doing it for? Are you doing it to get the qualification and just say, I've got this qualification mm-hmm. and not specifically that only being the reason, but are you, or are you more passionate and ambitious by gaining the knowledge and the content that the qualification or the course might actually bring to you? Because coming back to your point now, if it's about that development piece and I can evidence that actually, no, I've gone away, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Why would I need a B license? I've had this amount of experience. I've worked here. I've worked here. Worked here. I've gone and got. Uh, I've got a degree in, uh, in 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 sports coaching. I've got a master's degree in sports psychology. Here's the experience I've had over the last fifteen years. I've been working in schools. I've been working in community groups. Da, 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 with all these different types of people. Now, the argument would be well, actually, as well as all that, I've also been mentored by I don't know someone who's highly respected in the game, but I don't have a B license yet. Now, the game will tell you, well, you can't work it. But then on the flip side, you've got people with a B license and nowhere near that amount of experience or whatever, you know, additional credentials they may have. I, I, I you know, I, I think uh, you, we, I, I've said it a couple of times, but, you know, there is a, the, there's a regulations framework in which says that, um, this is what the game is telling uh, coaches who who want to work in the game mm-hmm. that there's a there, there's a level of qualification that you need to attain. I think those who have got all those experiences, and if there was a level two coach that had all that type of experience, then I'm pretty sure that you know uh, the once they get the opportunity to do the, for example, the UA for B, uh, you know, with all those experiences, they'll fly through it anyway. If I'm being honest with you, I think you're spot on. But I think then the challenge then comes is you've got some environments who might actually take the take the hit and actually employ that person against the criteria that's put in place and say, yeah, this person is working towards. Yeah, I. <laughs> we'll get, yeah, we got. We're going, into e-triple, we're going into E-Triple-P land now. We don't want to go there, do we? Let's be honest. And there were a couple other things that I did want to say, yes, that I think it's really important. Some of my learnings from um, uh, some of the coaches that I've worked with, okay, and, and some of the really key things that I think have resonated with me, and I, and I hope that I can land a couple of the messages. I think the one thing that I've really realised more than anything else, okay, and I, and I say it to my own children, is that, number one, okay, um, the only attitude you can really uh, control is your own. I think, I think sometimes, right when I when I speak to coaches and 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 you know we 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 can have a, a Bill Bessick said it better than I, a sports psychologist around yeah. having either a victim mentality or a fighter mentality, and recognizing that you know uh, a, a victim mentality will always see um, uh, the problems and a, and a fighter mentality will always see the solutions. And I think that we've got to start thinking about that and I think another thing that I do I I did want to say is that um you can often succeed with limited talent yes but not limited attitude Uh, uh, and I think that's really really important and I think that as we as those who are listening to this podcast and are going forward I'd really like them to be thinking about those key messages and yeah recognizing that there's going to be challenges in the game and but if they are aspirational and, and they are intentional there are also now, I believe, okay, in, in, in 2022, there are more opportunities now 
with, with the programs and the and uh, and and the schemes that are that are currently uh, within the game uh, for them to uh, have a go and give and really really um, give it a go as well. Just as we look to kind of round things up, then just to, yeah. you know, in relation to that, you talked about having limited talent and still being able to uh, achieve things if your if your attitude is right. So, I guess. What are some maybe questions or some things that you maybe want or encourage people to think about asking themselves in order to help them establish whether they're actually got the right mentality mentality at this point in time? Uh, yeah. I, I, okay. For me, I think I would always start with the me. So what, I mean, number one, who, who, who are you? Because, you know, when you go into whatever, whatever opportunity is out there to secure some type of role, okay, you've got to have an understanding of, of who you are first of all. Okay. And, and then, you know, if, if some of those key values around hard work, respect, tolerance, you know, and, and putting in a shift, really putting in a shift. And if you put in a shift, they're the type of, you know, the industry recognizes, okay, that like, especially when you, you know, you, you mentioned foundation phase coaches and, and working in academies, you know, they, they work a ridiculous amount of unsociable hours and, and, and they, and, and they don't, we all know that, you know, if, if you, if you, like you said, if you prorate the hours for the, um, uh, for the pay is, is nowhere near enough. It would, it would below, it would be below minimum, minimum wage. So why are you in the game? And I think that if if you recognise, okay, that you and a uh, key thing for me, okay, is that is that recognise that why are you going into the industry that you're going into for the first place, in the first place, and and I, and I think something that's resonated with me from this conversation, Yaz, in particular, is that piece around. Um, it's it might not only just be about coaching. You know, we've got we've got a number of multidisciplinary. Uh, opportunities within the game and and you might not have found what your super strength is yet so be quite open and recognize that whatever development uh, whatever journey that you're going on it will continue to evolve and as it continues to evolve can you continue to adapt and be pragmatic enough to move forward with it yeah just to kind of just to add on to that and i think one of the key things that i would really encourage people to do is that in finding your super strength don't just look to the things that you're necessarily just passionate about. It might actually just be looking at the objective piece and actually asking yourself, what am I good at? Rather than what am I passionate about? And I think sometimes people can actually mix up the two and understanding that actually, just because you're passionate about something, look, I might, I might like singing. Hmm. No way in hell that I'm going to end up being like, my, you know, whoever the next top singer is like a Chris Brown or whoever that might be in the world but I can enjoy it yeah I should maybe start focusing on the things that I'm good at so I guess on that it's just maybe asking yourself you know anyone listening to this what are the things that you know you can do effectively and and more important and I think the last point is that I, I think um don't write it in pencil write it in ink yeah. you know get it down on a bit of paper and you can see what the goals are that you're trying to achieve and remind yourself every day that you know if you continue to to have the right habit uh, you continue to have the right attitude and and you've got that work ethic then then inshallah you will succeed definitely well look butch it's been a really enjoyable conversation for me i think there's a lot of there's a lot of nuggets in there for people to kind of pick up on um oh. plenty of insights in terms just understanding the dynamics of a more diverse uh, workforce and the opportunities that might be um, or the challenges that might be facing someone 
coming from those backgrounds. Um, so I really want to really say thank you and appreciate your time this evening. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time as well. Definitely. And just on a final note then, Butch, if there's anyone that might be wanting to kind of touch base with you and maybe find out a little bit more about what you do um, or had any questions off the back of this discussion, is there somebody who can touch base with you? Yeah, of course. Um, the, the email is always the best one, I think. So it's abdul, A-B-D-U-L dot Fazal, F-A-Z-A-L at thefa.com. Um, I'm sure you'll have it running across your screen on the edit at the end of this, my brother. Definitely. Um, there was actually just on that because the first question I did want to ask you actually, where did it come from? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, say so it's an old football nickname more than anything else. It, you know, like Abdul Majid is my name. My mum and dad would be proud if everyone could call me that. But I know that, uh, you know, uh, growing up as a kid and uh, and turning around to someone saying, "Oh, what's your name, Abdul Majid?" It will take longer to get the past from you after I've said your name. So you know, it 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 just evolved and i always say uh, yes to everyone okay until um you've gone a season um with me and we've won something together that's when i'll always tell the story at that after party so uh yes you've got you got a little way to go my brother awesome awesome well look it's been a, it's been a pleasure great conversation um and I, I definitely will be touching base with you soon man and i'm sure some of the listeners would love to get in touch with you themselves thank no you problem. thank you there you have it guys another episode of the coaches network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you let us know what you thought about today's episode and until next time guys take care Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.